Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Broadcasting from our bed. This is the first time we've ever broadcast from bed. Kind of like Don Lennon and Yoko Ono back in the day. Oh, yes. And if you're listening to us in stereo, I am the one on one side, and she is very much on the other side, even though we're sitting next to each other. (laughs) Anyway, to begin the show, this is Ken, your RV navigator, broadcasting to you live from Barcelona, Spain. And Martha, the co-pilot, is here, too, enjoying a bit of a rest after a very strenuous three weeks or so yes. cruising the Iberian Peninsula and running around in Barcelona. Yes, we've been here exactly three weeks. As a matter of fact, we left, uh, got ready to go three weeks ago today. And four weeks ago, we were making the podcast. We were sitting in hot, hot, hot Florida. And now we are in cool, cool, cool Barcelona, but actually the weather has been very nice for this three weeks. We were very glad that we left Florida weather-wise, and it's been beautiful here until in every country some rain must fall, and today happens to be the day. So what are we doing? The podcast. The podcast. Catching our listeners up. We're doing it just a speck early because we don't know about the Wi-Fi on the ship. Uh, Although Wi-Fi has been very good on this trip, and it is excellent at this hotel here in Barcelona, Spain. We are not sure what's going to be available on the ship, so we're making this just a speck early. We are just about to board the Symphony of the Seas, which will bring us back to Miami after a three-week trip here in Europe. And we just finished a cruise on a very small ship, and all of the folks that we cruised with seemed somewhat envious as we told them of our return trip plan because they, of course, had to deal with airports and flights and delays and searches and all that stuff once again. And we will just be gradually recovering the time zones every day or two. We will have a 25-hour day. um, (laughs) Starting tomorrow with the time change. And have a very leisurely and pleasant sail home, I hope. Yes, and this is the first time we've ever just taken a single flight to make for an international trip, trip for an international trip to Europe or to frankly any place else because when we arrive back in Miami we will be driving back to Titusville where the motorhome is currently waiting for us yes and how do we know it's waiting for us because we have the Waze camera in the dash so if you have not gotten one of these little Waze, W-Y-Z-E cameras from Amazon for 25 bucks, you hook it up to the Wi-Fi and it will monitor whatever it's looking at 24-7 and you can log into it from any place in the world. Now, is that cool or what? It is. So I have a couple of them at home back in Chicago. I have one in Miami, or I'm sorry, in Titusville on the motorhome, and we can look on the 
the web and see a beautiful picture of what our houses are looking like at the very moment that we we can see the robbers coming right in. <laughs> or whatever. Because the other bit of distance contact that was helpful is you were surprised to see that back home in the Chicago area, we had snow flurries in the forest uh, forecast amazingly early, and you were able to give the furnace a boost to keep the oh, that's temperatures right. in the, the fur- house yeah, above I turned freezing. From, yes, turn it from air conditioning to the Nest thermostat allows me to turn it from... Uh, air conditioning into furnace because it was down to, oh, in the mid-upper 20s on a couple of nights. We're not looking forward to that. But here in Europe, it has been perfect weather. And most of Spain, well, we wouldn't want to go to England, I don't think. It's been cold up there because that's the stations that we watch on the TV. But here in southern Europe, it's been beautiful. Right. It's been in the mid-70s, dry temperatures as well as dry low humidity and we can definitely recommend this area for your fall travel because apparently in the summertime it's very hot kind of like arizona it sounds like so we took off last time from miami after driving our one-way rent-a-car down to miami which worked out very well uh one-way transportation to the airport for 40 bucks is a pretty good deal, and uh, you can drive it yourself. The only thing extra you have to pay for, of course, is gas and the rent-a-car, but that wasn't that expensive. Ooh, gas over here, though, <laughs> is a bit high. Most of Europe you know, has heavily taxed gas, and we were doing the calculations, and of course you don't pay in dollars, but you pay in local currency, but it adds, it comes out to be about $657 per gallon which is why the cars around here are much smaller, and uh, you would really have to want to have a car to have a car. Many people don't. As a matter of fact, here in Barcelona, they have a very interesting way of getting around. They have these rent-a-bikes, and for one flat fee, you can rent a bike one per the half hour and ride around the city, and people do it by the hundreds, wouldn't you say? It's considered part of the public transportation yeah. system. Our guide told us that just like she might have a metro card, which would also entitle her to take the buses, that for $36 a month she had no, a No, no, $32 a, a year. year. She had a bike card, and as long as she didn't ride the bike for more than half an hour at a time, because it's designed for errands or a quick ride to work or to school per this $36 fee for the year um, entitled her to use a bike whenever and then you didn't have to worry about anybody stealing your bike and, and they're everywhere and of course you pick it up one place where they have a huge bike rack I'm sure if you've been to any big city you've seen these but unlike Chicago I think here in Barcelona it really is part of the transportation network you pick up the bike in one rack you ride it to wherever you want to go you drop it off in the rack the the system automatically tracks you you drop it off so there's no fee for parking or anything like that and then you go go to your destination you come out of your destination you pick up another bike you ride it back to wherever you want to go and you're done and that's for a flat fee a one-year time fee for the year is really <laughs> a true and there are, well i was going to say oh, okay. that barcelona is a very big city i would compare yes. it to new york city in terms of traffic but they have done a great job of creating a lot of bike lanes and they don't just mark it on the pavement as ours do they actually try to put some 
traffic impediments or traffic bumps or some sort of marker that a car would notice that make you feel much more protected even when you're riding in heavy traffic. So the way that they have approached this, I think, is better than what I've seen in the U.S. Um, They've really made a commitment to it. Plus, in the inner city... The roads are so narrow that bikes are the only natural thing that you take. Not that they're not roads; they're alleys, but they are the alleys. But they have stores along them and stuff. But uh, it would be difficult to ride cars, and they often have barriers at the ends that would keep you from driving a car. So a bike is is frankly one of the best ways, and they have great weather. I don't think they get snow here of any to any degree, and uh, it's warm in the winter and hot in the summer so it would be definitely feasible to ride your bike year-round but these are not for tourists because you get fined if you keep a bike for more than half an hour and of course no tourist is gonna well would be unlikely that we would be renting a bike for less than half an hour as a matter of fact we have been renting bikes for tourists as part of tours as part of tours and bike tours i think are becoming more and more popular and if you are traveling to a big city you might want to consider uh signing up for a bike tour as a matter of fact we have actually done e-bikes three times three times three different bikes and we have some definite impressions of uh what kind of e-bikes you would want to buy and i have a very favorable impression of the ones that we bought i think i liked the bike we got on the ship better because it wasn't so heavy i find um our e-bikes and some of the ones we just used for the day to be very difficult to get going and corner i feel like i'm going to tip over because it's so heavy yep that's my my impression but certainly our first ride which we took in lisbon which is an extraordinarily hilly city we used the high gear of the battery as much as anything else to get us up those hills i was very grateful to have it and by having it we could leave the harbor area which is the only flat part of lisbon and really go into the back lanes and see what real life is like Uh, we went to tiny little cafes where it was obvious that only locals would go there and it gave us insights into the city in a way that we would never have had on a walking tour and certainly no bus could have gotten anywhere near the places that we rode and of course because we were just two people along with the the guide we were very lucky to have uh, a very personalized experience and it turned out to be great because it was an eating and biking tour uh, now, to back to the bikes, though. Uh, we've now dr- ridden all three of the styles of bikes that are available. And let me just kind of reiterate these. Ours has a front-wheel drive with a throttle, kind of like a motorcycle. You just twist the grip, and away you go. And the more you twist the grip, the faster you go. And it's totally under your control exactly. how much acceleration you are taking at that moment now none of the other bikes that we've used here and i think most other electric bikes are attached somehow to the pedaling and the first ones we had were rear wheel drive and they would kick in once it sensed that you were pedaling and you had three speeds that you could three amounts of power that you could apply and so the problem with that was is that when you stopped pedaling, it took it a while to sense so that you didn't slow down immediately when you stopped pedaling. And most of the time, you know, you're running into traffic or something, you want to stop. So you had to apply the brake while the engine, while the motor was trying to make you go forward. Uh, plus, of course, it didn't start you up right away because you had to start pedaling. The number two is the ones that were... Uh, 
the end of the motor is part of the crank, which means it's the motors in the center, which provides you with a more uh, even balance between front and back wheels. Uh, those, the ones we found were much smoother operating, didn't you think? That was the ones yes, from I the like bike. That one. And they were much smoother operating, but once again, you still had the problem when you got to get started, you always had to start pedaling, and so you had. <laughs> It's really too bad. You had to apply pressure to the pedals in order to get started. Now, it, it made me feel like I had young legs again. Um, uh-huh. How I used to feel as a young. It's kind of like power steering for your bike, for your legs, right? And it, this, the second bike, which I liked the best because it was lighter, also had much smaller <laughs> wheels and frame. I would compare it to what I unaffectionately used to call clown bikes, and I thought I would never uh, want a clown bike because they didn't look serious, and I wanted to be able to um, look like a serious rider and be a serious rider. And as much as I enjoyed this bike and its lightweight, I wondered if I was riding alongside people with full-size bikes with e-enhancement, whether I would be able to keep up with them on a small bike. So that's still an unanswered question. Those bikes, by the way, were provided by the ship, which was very nice. Our our passenger ship that we were on had about 100 passengers. Uh, It had 48 cabins. And one of the nice things they provided was uh, they had six e-bikes on board so that you could take off on your own and uh, do touring on your own. Unfortunately, we didn't have a lot of extra time to do that, but we did do it. And that was the, the e-bikes that folded up. And I'll try to provide links for these on the webpage, of course, and make sure that you can check them out. I'm not sure that all these are available in the United States. But uh, our bikes at home have front-wheel drive and the throttle. So that when you get on, you don't have to pedal at all. You just put your feet on the pedals and crank the throttle, and it'll go as fast as you want to go. There's no uh, shifting or speeds. However, of course, because it has the complete derailleur system in the back, if you leave the throttle on zero, you can pedal as much as you want, or you can pedal as much as you want anyway. And if you uh, leave the throttle on zero, then that makes the bike heavier than a normal bike would be, and you would work a little bit harder. Not much, though. A little bit. The front wheel is very freewheel. I notice it when I'm cornering. Well, that's, and getting going. Okay, yes. We have had uh, interesting experiences with these uh, e-bikes, and it was fun to try the different ones and to see which ones we like the best. But I'm not dissatisfied at all with our ones at home because they fold up and fit in the back of the car, full-size wheels, and uh, that makes a big difference. And it was surprising that all three of these had uh, virtually the same... Uh, electrical system, a 36-volt lithium-ion battery, and they actually, uh, the one day we rode for five hours, well, the tour was for five hours, and we didn't run out of battery, although it was low when we got back, it certainly was still working. And that's the case. Uh, I think we've we've never had any much problem with running out of battery. Yeah, we don't so know I think that that's, that's an that. interesting solution that they have... Uh, gotten the batteries to the capacity that you need. Now, you can get 36 or 48-volt batteries and motors that are much more powerful. I read regularly about people going 50 miles an hour or 50 kilometers an hour. That's fast. Uh, We tend to go the usual speeds and just uh, pedal along as if we were normal and just use the motor when we are... Totally exhausted. <laughs> and certainly in city driving where you're um, maneuvering around cars and streetcars and other people on bikes and people pushing baby buggies and people on electric scooters, uh, it's not practical to go very fast because you have to notice a lot and avoid a lot as you're riding along. 
So as you've noticed, we are uh, in midstream here with the RV Navigator, episode 163. And uh, I hope that you have downloaded the wallpaper for this past month and the next month. Uh, we have lots more to talk about, but unfortunately, not much of it is about RVing. And why? Because... We haven't been RVing. Right. We are cruising, which, as we you've heard us mention before, is RVing on steroids. When was the last time you had to cook? <laughs> um, a month ago. <laughs> and Tuesdays have been very uh, much without cooking for me, too. So we've, not, we've enjoyed that. Have you gotten a lot fatter? Oh, I don't know because I haven't been on the scale, but I can still button all my pants. Uh, we've been we've been so walking a, a lot. Sign. We've been doing the ten thousand steps easily, easily, nearly every day because we uh, these cities we don't take cabs very often, and we've been in the central city. And the, one of the nice things about doing a small ship cruise is is that you dock literally in the middle of town, so that you feel like you can walk almost anywhere. And we have been doing that. But that means that we've been using lots and lots of calories. Well, let's doing hope so. Walking, walking, walking. Let's hope so. But we've been eating three good meals a day. And anyway. the food is so interesting here. It's nice to get away from the United States and the predictable. Uh, we took a tapas tour uh, the other day on our e-bikes. And tapas is a very uh, popular Spanish way to eat. Uh, the Spanish people, I read, are going to be the healthiest people in the world statistically in a few years. Um, and one of the things that's unique about how they eat is they have at least five meals a day. And they start out with mm, like a, 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 co a coffee and, and then in the mid-morning they have another coffee and a little more and. And then they have lunch at like two or three and um, then they have another probably an alcoholic drink four or five and then actual dinner time isn't until nine or ten about the time that we would go to bed so um it's very easy for u.s people who eat at um, an earlier evening hour to make tapas the dinner which for the locals is the part of the eating that comes with a little alcohol and tapas are very small plates of snacks. Mm -hmm. Initially, when I first read about this, I was expecting more like appetizers, like cheese and crackers no. kind of stuff that you would have with a drink in our country at cocktail hour. But they can be anything. Um, one day we got a plate of scrambled eggs with ham in it as mm -hmm. a tapas. And on the tour that I'm thinking about, everything that we ate was totally unfamiliar, totally... Smoked eggplant. Um, a, um, a surprise to the mouth. Um, we got Potato one thing that thingies. looked like a little tin of library paste, which was um, <laughs> which was terrible. Which was pureed codfish, and there's a lot of fish with potato in this part of the. No, yeah. not that one. That one wasn't. And, and in the middle, it had this big. That didn't have potato in it. No, in no. the middle, it had this big black dot, maybe well, the size of a small. I didn't know what I was eating. A small grape, <laughs> and when I put it, put the grape. As always. And when I put the black dot slash grape in my mouth, it kind kind of exploded and i said to the guy did i just eat an eyeball <laughs> which made her laugh i had no idea what i was eating and we had like dried barbecue yeah. um octopus and it was very interesting and very different and which last is night we had pizza which is why i like very to travel different. well yes. the pizza was 
recognizably pizza, just not the way we would have it. We ordered a pizza with three or four ingredients on it, which in the U.S. would have been evenly dispersed all over the pizza. But here it was a glob of mushrooms on one side and a glob of little tiny shrimp on the other side and a glob of ham on it was, um, so again, they, a surprise. They divided it into fourths and put one ingredient on each of the fourths. Does that make any sense? Well, that's how they do it. That's why you travel. Is that why I travel? So I can have pizza that doesn't no, taste good? you travel good? so you can take a zillion pictures. Ah, and see. so you have. And so we have. It's been beautiful. But we have to get to places. And how do we get to those places it, on our own? It's a mystery to me. I could not do this without you as a well, navigationally impaired person. Oh, yes, you could. Especially in those tiny little lanes that you don't go in one direction for two blocks before it twists or winds or angles. It's a nightmare. Well, but we have our navigation system with us. I have have you, and you have your navigation system. Uh I see. So you're just kind of mooching off me. Freeloading, yes. Well, we bought a SIM card for my phone back at home on Amazon, which was kind of a surprise. I didn't expect to do that. But they were offering a pretty good deal through Vodafone. And one of the things that I found out is is that Europe, as of uh, the fall, or I guess last spring, now has universal access throughout all of Europe. So you buy one SIM card... And it works seamlessly for data, phone, and text throughout Europe. So you don't have to worry about what country you're buying your SIM card for. It just works, which is really great. So I ordered this uh, SIM card from Amazon that came preloaded with uh, 12 gigabytes of data and text and phone and and uh, calling back to the United States. And, of course, the, t- the data has proven invaluable for when we are just kind of wandering around and we don't know where we are, how to get back to where we're going. And we have used uh, maps uh, and we've used Google Maps. We have used uh, the, my watch, which is very cool because um, we just put the destination into the your phone and then the watch has the directions on it so you don't have to be holding your phone at all times in order looking like a tourist it just kind of goes on your wrist and then you look down and it says turn left in 150 feet because one thing we have been uh, warned about excessively here in Barcelona is pickpockets. And the more you can look like a local and less like a tourist wandering around with a phone or, God forsake, God forbid, a paper yeah. map in your hand, uh, the more you look like a local. Paper map? At, at Who least, would use that? At least that's our goal. Yes. And so we have used that, and we have uh, the phone with data, and we've also used Sigic, which I've mentioned before as an app, that uh, a GPS app that's free that allows you to download maps and use navigation without any use of data. So even if you do not have a SIM card, so Martha's phone has uh, Sigic on it, and she's downloaded the maps for Spain and Portugal in Andorra and France. Morocco. Morocco, Gibraltar. All the places we just were. And so she's downloaded those places, and she then gets to uh, navigate uh, pretty nicely without, without having any data connection. And that's it's kind of fun to use it on the bus when you're traveling down the road and to, see, to how see how long you it will are. be to see how long it will be until you get to your destination and, and stuff like that. So for free, what the heck, even if you don't buy a SIM card, um, that's uh, well worth it. But I think having a SIM card in order to be able to call in case of emergency or just call, period, and to receive calls and to 
check out what's going on around you. You can check out for restaurants and that sort of stuff. is uh, a definite benefit, and I would definitely recommend that you look at it on your next trip to overseas. To Europe, at least. At least to Europe. And Especially when you can't speak the language that well. And while I don't think we're there yet, um, there certainly is more and more free Wi-Fi available in downtown areas of European cities, uh, which I could also use for navigating or pulling up a a website because I want to buy tickets online to go in ahead of time or whatever. Um, It's much more available, I think, than it is at home. Or maybe at home we don't look because we already have the cell data service on our phones as well. Uh, so, you know, it really feels like not having Wi-Fi is like not being able to breathe or drink water. It's very, very pervasive here, at least in the civilized part of the world. And, and I'm very even, grateful. Yes, but most of the time you need a password to log on, so you need to be at the business and talking to them. And most of the time you need to have, uh, you know, it doesn't last very long in terms of distance so that it's not nearly the same as having cell phone data, which you don't have to do anything. You just pick up your phone, start using it, and it's automatically accessing the 4G data. And Wi-Fi. certainly for anything that's commonly available, you have to worry about security. You wouldn't want to do your online banking on those kind of networks. And we found that even most buses now have Wi-Fi, which is also way cool. Wi-Fi is becoming one of those things that's widely available, and you can almost rely on, on having it. And, of course, not only is it basically free... Uh, as long as you buy a coffee or something at Starbucks, but it also is very fast. And you, at this hotel, we're looking at uh, speeds in the 15 to 20 megabit range, so that's really uh, convenient. So we can stream videos if we want to, and uploading is fast, and downloading is fast. And Now, if only we could get TV. We didn't come to Europe to watch TV. I know, but it would be nice to see CNN at least. We don't really want to know what's going on. The only on thing in we get country. here is British TV, and who the heck cares about Brexit? On this TV, Jeez. we also get an English language channel that's from China, which was kind of a and Russia Today, also like, who in the hell English. Cares about that? Well, it's nice to get their take on all of our shenanigans. Uh, I enjoy nice. that. Well, they have six channels in English out of 150 channels, and we get three channels from Austria. None are from the U.S. None from the U.S. China today, Russia today, come on. So hopefully on our cruise ship they will have uh, some, at least CNN, maybe Fox. We can... Oh, they'll probably only have Fox, won't they? Oh, okay. Anyway. On the tour we took yesterday, we ended up with two medium-sized busloads of people and nearly all of them were americans because all of them have already arrived to take the big cruise ship that we're about to take uh everybody was so excited to be here it was like the bus was levitating off the ground it was kind of fun to see so i expect that our future cruise will be very american heavy and perhaps the media will will fit with that yes i expect so because it's the symphony of the seas the brie the brand new large and complex ship that uh, is run by Royal Caribbean, and we'll be taking that back to Miami. But we got on a very small ship called the Corinthian in Lisbon. And Lisbon is a fun city because it has lots of hills and uh, is quite scenic and, of course, is the capital of Portugal. One of the things that's interesting about this trip in my mind is that we took this very small cruise ship with less than 100 passengers And on our next voyage home, we will be on the largest 
cruise ship currently afloat with about 5,500 passengers. And inevitably, when we are in that small setting and we talk to our fellow travelers about our plans, there's this audible gasp of, how could you possibly stand um, traveling with so many people and it's got to be so oppressive and so many lines? And we always try to reassure him that them that that's not our experience and that every kind of travel has its strengths and, and disadvantages. I, quite frankly, did not enjoy the small ship some of the nights when we were sailing in the Mediterranean and the North and the South Atlantic yes. because it was so vulnerable to the waves. And a number of our fellow passengers actually got seasick and had to go to bed and couldn't eat dinner, where I have not felt that way on a big cruise ship probably in 20 years, whatever they're doing technology-wise. And maybe we've yes. been lucky with some of the sailings, I don't know. But certainly the... Um, absence of motion on a big ship, in my mind, is a huge advantage. But, as I mentioned, docking right in the middle of town, docking right uh, if centrally located, having only 100 passengers to get on and off the ship, and the very personal service that they offered you was uh, very nice. you get on the ship and they'd say, oh, Ken, how are you? Yeah, they knew our names immediately. Yeah. It was impressive. And But the cabin, frankly, was about the same as the one we're going to get on the ship, on the big ship, except that it didn't have a balcony. And it was at least twice as expensive as the big ship. So there is something to the economy of scale uh, in terms of your how much you're going to pay. And the activities on the small ship, of course, were very limited, and everybody had to do the same thing at the same time. There was no professional entertainment other than local people. Well, we, had a, <laughs> we had a belly dancer. We had uh, the flamenco, flamenco dancers. dancers. We had an older group doing Catalan musics, right. mostly singing. Which, of course, we really Loved en- it. enjoy. But on the big ship, they will have those things. Plus, they will have uh, lots of uh, entertainment, nightly entertainment. We have had a hard time, even in 12 days, fitting it all into uh, our schedule. Even though we will be at sea and we won't be doing any land tours, it's still uh, nonstop entertainment on the big ship. As well as having pools, we had only a hot tub, hot tub um, and you know miniature golf and basketball and you know all those those types of the zip line and all that sort of stuff that the big ships have so i don't know we i think we like both this was our first time we spent uh, an extensive time on a small ship we booked this trip through oat overseas adventure travel or as we also call it older americans <laughs> traveling um, and Which I think is what we are. <laughs> you've heard us talking about Oat before because we have really enjoyed the very small group approach that they take and the variety of activities that try to give you some personal contact with real people, not just touristic stuff, and some downtime where you can do whatever you want. But, of course, you can't justify a cruise ship like this for a group of 12 people as we had in Africa. And so it felt kind of large to us. Yes. Um, we were 98, 96 people that they split into four groups, and we consistently did our daytime touring with the same group, with the same leader. So you got to know those people a right. little bit better. But I got kind of tired of being in lockstep with 96 people all day yes. long. And I know that when I'm on the big cruise ship, even though they won't believe it, um, there will be the small group people time, won't to, it. time to eat 24 hours a day. I can eat whenever I feel like. 
it, um, a myriad of activities that I can do whenever I feel like it, yep. and um, it will feel less regimented to me, which is less probably surprising the to chair. them. Right. And like the dinner menu had two entrees on it uh, and a vegetarian item, whereas the entrees in, on the big ship will be five or six. And a much broader selection. You can go to the buffet. You can go to have the sit-down dinner. Whereas every night on the small ship, we spent two hours having dinner because that's what you did. And there was not much alternative. And there was no room service. Uh, you want a breakfast, you go down to the <laughs> down to the dining room. Whereas on the big ship, you can have uh, room service breakfast. When we've traveled on large cruises in Europe, uh, we've tended to go to big cities often each day in a different country, and it can sometimes be disappointing in that you only get a taste of each country or each city, and that's how they're designed to be. But on this cruise, we spent the majority of our time in Spain, which wasn't really all that different from Portugal, and the diversion to Morocco for the day and Gibraltar gave us a much more in-depth feeling about Spain, and we feel like we have done as good a job seeing and learning and encountering Spanish culture as we would have if we had been in a car doing it ourselves or in a land tour. So this small ship approach, I think, is good if you would like a more intimate experience of just one country or one area. And these places were actually very close together. So one of the questions we would broach is, should we do this as a driving trip or is it better as a cruising trip? Because when we go from... Uh, Barcelona uh, from Lisbon to the other cities that we visited, they were very close to each other within a couple hundred miles. So you could have easily driven, and this is a, this whole itinerary is one which we could have just driven, except for going to Morocco, which we could have taken a ferry to, which would take you an hour and a half each way. So we could have done that very easily and stayed in hotels. And it would have been much less expensive, I think. So should you do this as a cruise or should you do this as a land driving bus trip? And as an RVer, you always appreciate the fact that you don't have to pack and unpack on a right. cruise ship. Um, and that was very convenient. This would be nice convenient. as an RV trip. Yes. <laughs> yes <it laughs> That's the way we would do it, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yes. Because driving between the cities, uh, you know, you would pick up your, leave the hotel, do a tour, drive to, you know, do the tour for the day, then drive another two hours to the next city, check into the hotel for a couple of nights, and then do the same thing over and over again. Whereas on the cruise, we would get off the ship, do the city tour for the day, have some free time maybe in the afternoon, come back for dinner, the ship sails, sails overnight which is how much it took you to go between the cities that you could drive between in three hours. So it would take the ship overnight to get to the next city because often it would have to go out and around and down rivers and that sort of stuff. So it was actually quite a lot farther for the ship to go than for us to go by car. And then you would say you would be, uh, you know, you get up in the morning and you're someplace new and you haven't had to do anything in terms of uh, traveling, just go to bed. Another thing we just loved about the small cruise, and it's not unique to a small cruise, is that the entire tour, we were each given a whisper. (laughs) And a whisper is a small listening device that you wear around your neck with an earphone that goes into one of your ears. And the guide on the tour would have a microphone on her whisper and 
could talk about everything we were seeing and doing, leaving us free to run around and take lots of pictures and still listen and learn. Yeah, we love them. There have been many tours we've been on over the years where you're in a crowded area and you can hear all five tour guides around you bellowing at their people, sometimes in other languages, and it gets so hard to hear you get kind of frustrated and give up. So we very much appreciated the use of whispers, and I think that's one thing I would conscientiously look for booking a future tour to make sure that that is a, and I think a, an aid that they, they will use actually be featuring that because they are so plus. helpful and yes. so convenient. So the whisper, I think that's a fairly, I think that's a trademark term, but these are actually little wireless transmitters, and all the participants have a receiver that you wear around your neck or wherever you want to put it, and it has an earphone that you have in your ear. And so the nice thing is you get to control the volume, so those people who are hard of hearing or whatever if the environment is loud you can turn it up or turn it down as as you need and it works within about 150 feet of the guide so the guide holds the microphone and talks in a very normal voice so there's not all this screaming as she mentioned going on uh and Everybody who's attached to that guide hears the story that the guide is telling. Because you can set your whisper to a channel. Right. And there were times during the day when we were right alongside the other groups <laughs> from our cruise ship, but we couldn't hear what their guides were saying because they were on a different channel. And then there were other times when... When the poor guide had to work <laughs> all four, channels, all four, four microphones around her neck. We went to a, a farm where they ro- uh, raised bulls for bullfighting, and they talked about that whole process and there was only one guide but we all could hear because she had all four of the whisper devices around her neck now of course if we weren't all old people who couldn't figure out how to use technology we could have changed to the same channel and only used one whisper that's asking there's an a unlimited lot. number of receivers that can be attached <laughs> that's asking a lot <laughs> to any transmitter but uh for ease of use i guess they just gave the the guide for all four of the transmitters and she had four microphones <laughs> which made her look kind of funny uh but we did that several times because we had four separate groups from the ship each one on a different channel which was very nice so the guide when we went through museums, the guide could just kind of whisper about the things we were seeing, and we could look around at other things while we're listening to the history of uh, Salvador Dali or whoever it is. Oh, have we had enough art? Well, we you had oh, enough art. <laughs> Salvador Dali, Picasso, Miro. And inevitably when you're in an art museum, the guide is talking about one painting and everybody gathers closely around that painting, which means unless you're very prompt, you can't see it at all. And so you can still listen and then come back to it later when the guide has moved on to something else. So we enjoyed having uh, the group the the ship divided into four smaller groups so we had about 20 people uh in our group and everybody had about that many so it was uh convenient from that aspect but as we mentioned the times when we all got together is a hundred passengers there were some long lines at the women's bathroom because we all went to the same places we would we would take a slightly different approach some people would go in the exit and come out the entrance and other people go in the entrance and come out the exit and all that sort of stuff so that the groups were not necessarily stationed all together but when we made a bathroom stop and there we all bathrooms, were sometimes you have to pay and sometimes they're free and sometimes there's one stall and sometimes there are 10 stalls sometimes they take toilet paper and sometimes they don't occasionally all the women invaded the men's 
We had lots of co-mingling of men and women in the bathrooms, which was all fun. We're standing at the urinals, and the women are walking back and forth behind us, <laughs> checking things out. And, but we had to get the numbers. We had to get through. So from that aspect, it wasn't as nice. Now, when we went to Kenya, for instance, uh, we had only 12 people, and we were the only 12, so that everything happened uh, with just those 12 people. And that was actually much better, and that's what uh, Oat is really known for, I think. I added a new camera to the system this on this trip, and that's my little GoPro, which actually generated quite a lot of interest. I was surprised. Uh, I think of GoPro as an action camera, but I also now think of it as a wide-angle camera because the angle of view for the GoPro is very wide. I, I don't think it, it would suffice as my only camera, but now because it's so small and I can just stick it in my pocket, uh, I carry it with me so that when I need a wide-angle lens rather than swapping lenses on another camera, I can just take out the GoPro and snap the picture. Because the new GoPro, the GoPro 5, Hero 5 that I have, has a color screen, a touch screen on the back, and has uh, actually high, very high-quality pictures, 12 megapixel, and it takes RAW, which is nice, so that it has all of the features that I would expect uh, in terms of taking pictures, I think. It doesn't have the exposure control and that sort of stuff. No HDR. But it has it, for taking basic wide-angle pictures it takes uh, it takes pretty good pictures. And uh, I've used it quite a few times because we've been in cathedrals and we have been standing in places where we're too close to the object for me to get it all in with my normal camera. And so I just whip out the GoPro uh, out of my pocket because it's definitely something you can just hold in your hand. It weighs ounces. And I can snap a picture with that. Plus I've been doing a, I bought a little mount for it, a little tripod that that uh, clamps onto things, and so I can take time lapses, which are a lot of fun, because as the ship goes from place to place, you just put it onto the railing, and you can see the departures and arrivals uh, in a minute that might take several hours. So that was convenient. Uh, I've had quite a few questions about the Google Plus page, and Google has not mentioned anything to me, but I have read that Google will be canceling Google Plus in uh, the next six months. They've had some problems with security, and I think they've just said, oh, to hell with it, we're just going to get rid of Google Plus. So I don't know exactly the status of our Google Plus page, other than the fact that it's working now. And We we've didn't had... start it, right? Well, Somebody did it for us. Oh, that's right. But... Regardless, we are administrators for it. If you're used to going to the Google Plus page, uh, thanks a lot for visiting. Uh, we'll try to find some alternative uh, for you 600 people that are still viewing the, the Google Plus page. But I don't know exactly what we'll be doing. Maybe we'll start a Facebook page. I don't know. I course, don't like Facebook. <laughs> so I guess we won't be starting a Facebook page. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what other the RV Navigator has spoken. What other alternatives are there? I don't know. I haven't yeah. really searched around. Yeah. Um, Sug are you sug soliciting suggestions? Sure. Oh, well, yes, of course. Yes, I should. Yes, please. Let me know what you think. You, there's probably techier people out there who can help me with that. Uh, it seems like almost everybody has a Facebook page, but no, I'm not allowed to have a Facebook page. <laughs> I just so. don't like Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but you use it almost every day. Well, you have to you keep have track to. of the people who do like Facebook. Exactly. So, should we talk about some RVing stuff? No. First, no. we want to talk about where we're going next. Oh, okay. In uh, a nutshell, after our cruise back to Florida, we are going to take the car back to Illinois for the holidays. 
um, and return to Florida as quickly as we can, weather permitting after that. Uh, and then the next exciting event uh, will be um, our departure from our campsite at the Great Outdoors on a trip to Antarctica. Antarctica but that's not till February. is on the bucket list, and everybody says that you should go, and so we shall. Um, I'm a little bit concerned about the weather and the waves, um, having seen some of my fellow passengers. And having just experienced, yeah. Get seasick on the little ship. I do get seasick at times. I, I suspect this may be a trip we will like more in retrospect than while I'm actually on Oh, it. but the photographic opportunities. But, um... What an exciting thing to look forward to is a trip to Antarctica. And before that, we have Christmas. Our next podcast will be direct from home home studio. studio, Right. We will be back in Chicago for the Christmas holidays. And then, of course, we'll be going to the Tampa Super Show. I've already had a couple of people talk to me about meeting us there, and we'll be more than happy to meet you there if you happen to be visiting the Tampa Super Show in the not-too-distant, well, not in January. That is the not-too-distant future. We will be in residence as part of the TGO group uh, for about four or five days, depending on how much the, the excitement builds about and, and whether I can have all the repair things done. Got to have the blue ox uh, refurbished and looked at, looked at so that uh, we will be good to go for a number of years. Because we have not been thinking about RV very much, we should at least respond to an RV email or two. Uh, One says, my wife Deborah and I thoroughly enjoy and appreciate your podcast. Thank you very much. And the information you shared with us on your Maritimes trip. We usually like to travel independently. However, having the ferry crossings and other arrangements already made sounds helpful. And we put down our deposit for the 2019 Summer Maritimes and Gas Bay RV Tour. We are officially both retired at the end of 2018. Congratulations. Yep. And we'll spend most of the next few years traveling. Well, as you know, this is um, an approach that we totally agree with. Um, Sometimes I feel a little bit lazy or like a slug when we take a tour and let everybody else do all the planning that we normally do for ourselves. But certainly group travel gives you um, the experience of others and makes sure that you can go and come at the times that you are planning on going and coming because they're just things you don't know about or anticipate in an area where you've never been before. So like the, the travel that we're doing now, if you take a group, you'll do more and it will be more efficient than if you did it by yourself because you take advantage of the experience of the tr- of the group leaders. And so now we do things that on this trip that we w- could not have found out about. It just didn't happen. So you take a tour. And the same thing with the RV tour. You see more, but it's going to be at a pace that probably is a little bit fast because they want, you know, they have to get you through the, the tour in a reasonable amount of time. And not make it too expensive. And the reservations on the ferry, that's something we didn't have to worry about. They just take care of it for you. You pay your money and away you go. You sign, you show up one day and the details are all taken care of. And if you had to do that yourself, you'd be spending a fair amount of time doing that. And you might not get as good a deal because of the group discount that you probably get. So... 
caravanning, you know that we've done it several times. Basically, I think we do it when, I don't know, when you're looking for camaraderie, it's nice. And as this... Uh, Anytime I would say you're traveling to an area that is logistically challenging, either because you don't speak the language or because there are a lot of ferries or you want to have a lot of cultural experiences that you would probably not be able to latch onto very easily by yourself, a caravan would be a great idea. And if you're kind of a newbie you, that you are looking for free advice about RVing, this is another good way because you'll be along with uh, 15 or 20 or so experienced RVers and they will be more than happy to share their experiences with you about the, the RVing experience and how to go about RVing. Plus, it, it lets you see the variety of campgrounds and how the campground setups work and how to back into a site and all that. We had a, one trip where uh, one of the ladies was ladies was a very experienced uh, truck driver, I guess, and she was a farm girl, and she backed everybody's fifth wheel back into their sights. So, you know, that kind of stuff can be really handy, and you could learn how to do it yourself. So uh, it has that advantage, too, of kind of being a... <laughs> quick start guide for how to RV. We have actually signed up for another one, and we will be going out west uh, in the Canadian Rockies in the, the Okanagan Valley in the, in the whew, when are we going there? In 2020. I also want to add that the uh, official caravans often have um, a leader and a tail gunner who are quite experienced mechanically. And I've been fortunate throughout my life to always be with somebody with a can-do spirit and a fair amount of mechanical skill, so we haven't had great need of that. But honest to God, on some of our caravans, I think people brought their old rigs to get them fixed along the way. (laughs) Those poor guys were always under the rigs with all their tool belts, um, hammering and sawing and pounding and whatever the hell they were doing. Very helpful if you have any worries about the soundness of your rig or breaking down along the way. They will keep you going. was impressive. Well, one of the biggest problems was the tail gunner had a slide that didn't work very well, and there were people along on the trip who actually got it fixed and working. So that's, yes, that's another good thing. If you have some problems, <laughs> this is the place to go to get them solved. It'll probably be cheaper than taking it to a dealer or someplace and, and having it fixed, because there's always somebody there who's who has some knowledge that or you need. Or had that problem before you. Yeah, I kind of forgot about that. That was good. Our second email was from Bob, who said, I wanted to ask you about your experience a few years back, RVing the Natchez Trace Parkway. Did you cover the entire distance or a smaller <laughs> section? If there's some relevant details that I'd benefit from listening to that prior podcast, do you remember what podcast it was? It, I did send it to him. It was a number of years ago, so our memories are not vivid. Oh, no, no, I remember very well. Our memories are not vivid as to oh, yes. exact details, but my oh, most vivid memory is how bored we were. <laughs> And you could only go 45 miles an hour. It's like driving down the Express It was a two-lane road through a deep forest, so the satellite dish didn't work. Um, when you camp. Interspersed every so often by a campground. Um, as I recall, Which we stayed in. There was always a place to camp. That was not a problem. Even with our motorhome. And every so often there would be an informative sign that would tell you something that happened 150 years ago of which there was no longer any trace. So you had to use your imagination and you could have just as easily oh, this read, is a good read explanation. it in a book. So it was an interesting experience. It was I'm hot. We did it. It was humid. But I would not recommend it to you from our perspective. Yeah. 
It, was the, it just wasn't what we thought it was going to be. Did not meet our expectations, shall we say. And I imagine there's some of you out there that are very happy to hear the fact that Camps Canada <laughs> has started adding <laughs> national parks to their kit. They've confirmed that marijuana can be assumed, consumed at all of its campsites, part of a policy of offering visitors a consistent and predictable experience at national oh, parks nice? across the country. You will be able to smoke pot and be Alberta, Ontario, Quebec, as well as Nunavut and the Northwest Territories. And you will be able to smoke marijuana on the hiking trails as long as those trails aren't within the campgrounds themselves. This is much more enlightened than in the United States. Where other places can you legally use marijuana in the United in the States? RV habits that transferred home. Uh, this is, this a, is pretty good. a link to an article written by some people who RV'd full-time for four years and then part-timed and have returned to a, a fixed home site and have found that some of the habits that they developed while they were RVing have continued into their more regular life. One of them is listening to the news. Uh, when you're on the road, as we have experienced currently, it's a lot harder to be hooked into the news the way we are at home and they found that that wasn't all such a bad thing. Um, a little editorial on my part as an old lady is that when we were younger adults and the news was mostly in print, um, newspapers and magazines, and supported by ads, that there were a lot more reporters out and about um, finding out news. And now that that um, model has been pretty well eliminated and most of our news is on the web or on TV and is not supported by ads to as great of an extent as it used to be, is that a lot of the news that we see is simply sucked up from the local police crime blotter. And so you are left with this feeling that the only news that is going on in the world is people getting murdered. And I certainly miss the insights that I used to be able to get from reading my news in a curated fashion and not being quite so tuned in to all the murders that seem to be happening incessantly could be a good thing for your mental health. And that goes to the second comment this person had, which said reading versus, versus TV. Our, because there's so many hundreds of TV channels to watch these days, it's very easy to channel surf and all of a sudden the evening is gone. And he found that because he had to read a lot more when he was in his rig, he continued that habit and finds it much more productive, and he learns a lot more. And I think we do that just automatically. We do quite a lot of reading, I would say, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. But mean, we, when we watch TV, it's very specific. We don't. We watch a program because we want to watch the program. And like today, we're going to watch The Cats on PBS. Because we can. And we're going to watch it where? In Barcelona. In Barcelona. Wow. On streaming because from PBS. Anyway, I think it's about time to end things up. We will refer you to the article and let you read it for yourself. And you can decide whether you want to bring some of your habits from the road home. But from now, we will be traveling off to our cruise ship in the not-too-distant future for a 12-day trip back home. And then, then we travel back to the big motorhome, put out the slides. And think about RVing again. And think about RVing again. And we will be hoping to see you in a campground near us in the not-too-distant future. Happy travels and bye for now. Goodbye. Goodbye.